What if I told you there is a revolutionary technology that can tackle agriculture's biggest problems, repair genetic mutations in human embryos, and even expand our life animals? But it could also make the possibility of a Hitler-esque super race a reality. Whoa, I never thought about it that way. Good morning, afternoon, evening, or whatever time of day you happen to be tuning into our show, and welcome to The Flow, a new podcast series where I, Sebastian Chavez, take you, the listener, on a journey to uncover the morals and ethics of the future of humanity. I'm your host, and as per usual, let's get to it. This week on The Flow, I'm here with Araceli Schmalz, who's going to help me tackle the morals and ethics of gene editing. Araceli, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for inviting me. So, um, what are your what would you say your qualifications are for talking about gene editing? <laughs> um, <laughs> literally nothing. That's I it. took bio one fall semester and I dropped it this semester. You sound very very qualified. Um, <laughs> and how much do you know about gene editing in general, like knowledge wise? Uh, like really obscure little things. Like I know you can make micro pigs, and you can make them different colors. And, uh, <laughs> Did you say micro pigs? Yeah, micro pigs. They're like mini pigs. Oh yeah. You can keep as pets. <laughs> That's sick. Um, I actually didn't know that about gene editing. Um, what I did know <laughs> is a little bit about how it works. Um, or at least after All I started right. researching. So, um, the way that it works, um, or the general technique is by using, um this tool called CRISPR-Cas9. And um, that is a protein that kind of... So in the human genome, we have about 3 billion or so nucleotide sequences. So that CRISPR protein um, is basically used to look for a certain strand of DNA that we want to edit or of a gene, um, of, of an allele that we want to change. And it unwinds the DNA coils it kind of snips that se- the sequence out of its strand, and then it either replaces it with um, a new sequence or it inserts a new one um, altogether. So we're basically. Wait, I have totally learned about this. You're really refreshing, me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I did this first semester. I just don't remember anything about it. <laughs> so you might be more qualified than I want. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Keep educating me, though. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's the basics of what CRISPR is. Um. It wasn't created by humans, as many people think. It was actually discovered as an adaptive immune defense system in bacteria. So we didn't necessarily create it. We just repurposed it for our own uses. So greedy humans. Um, and it's also not the first technology used to cut DNA. However, since it's the cheapest and the fastest, it made it's become the most popular. So um, like you, I didn't really know much about gene editing. You know, one bio class, not even in college. I took like a high school level bio my sophomore year. Um, so I needed to learn more about this. I talked to um, Mr. Michael Gomez, and he's a scientist at the Innovative Genomics Institute out at UC Berkeley. And his research focuses on using CRISPR technology to engineer disease resistance and other benefits into major crops such as tomato, cassava, and cacao. Um and he would like to emphasize that all points made reflect his own personal views as a scientist and not the um, not the views of the Innovative Genomics Institute that he works for. 
So just before I play any of his clips. Um, we started out our conversation talking about um, kind of like the controversial applications of CRISPR. If we can make changes so easily to the DNA, um, then it's... Uh, we want to make sure that they are changes that are understood, agreeable, uh, and beneficial. Um, certainly, it, it gets very controversial when you go in the direction of designer babies and making enhancements and social inequality. So, um, Arcelli, as you heard in that clip, he was basically. It gets very controversial. Um, what are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on what you heard? Um, I mean. So I think it is a big problem with gene editing because, I mean, most people probably don't know what exactly it is or how it works, but mostly that it is controversial. Um, and I feel like it depends on what side of, like, the argument you're on because I feel like there's an argument to make for science and then also an argument to make for, like, ethics. And so, like, scientific exploration would say, like, go ahead, um, you know, create what, mm -hmm. what you can, and then afterwards, like you know, evaluate and stuff, but when it comes to, like, you know, human beings and, or, or, like, animals or just other living things, um, then I feel like it can get out of hand, and this, but also, like, people can, people who don't know what they're talking about can, like, take things out of hand when they don't know what they're talking about, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So, like, I mean... Like, if I were super opinionated about this, it would be really stupid because I don't know what I'm talking about. No, 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 which is, which is exactly what I want. Um, yeah, yeah, no, so you brought up two really good points. You said that there are two basic perspectives from this, right? There's the perspective of at least a majority of scientists who kind of want to push for this research in some form. Um, and then yeah. there's, and like, there are many people who back that as well. Don't get me wrong. But there's also like a more human side of it that says, well, as much as we want to pursue this, is it really worth the risks, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I just wanted to address some concerns within both of those um, communities of people. Um, the first one I wanted to address was within scientists. So um, Michael Gomez already talked about um, or addressed two of those within his like little interview clip about designer babies and social inequality, which I think are really good places to start. Um, yeah. I was I, I first wanted to start out with um, designer babies. So that seems to be a pretty big one. A big question that I guess is kind of circulating is what harm can this do to the future generations, right? Because when you're given the opportunity to kind of design what you want your baby to look like, when you're given the opportunity to change its eye color, its hair color, some people see it in a very, very physical sense, like something that like you can see, changes that you can see. But scientists, at least um, ones conducting research at the time, the majority of them see it in the sense that like, oh, we can maybe prevent diseases in these children or in these embryos before they're even born. Um, right now, I guess one of the biggest worries that I brought up with Mr. Gomez was about a super race. And I kind of talked about this a little bit at the beginning in the intro slip. Um, I was worried or I noticed that a lot of people were worried that somebody more or less like Hitler would come around and say, I want to do the same thing Hitler did. I want to have kind of a super race with blue, um, with blue eyes and blonde hair. And now 
I'm now me as a civilian, I'm worried that that person has the technology to do so. So I actually talked a little bit about this with Mr. Gomez. Um, here's another quick clip. So long as we have history classes going that educate people on that history of eugenics and the human rights abuses that come from it, I think that us as a society will not go down that road, or at least that's my hope. And that's why it's so important that we review these previous cases of what the Nazis did and actually eugenics uh, efforts that actually happened here in the United States as well, uh, which are not spoken of as much. And so as long as we can reflect on what the impacts of that direction would be, I think we would understand not to go down that road. So he brought up a couple of good points there, um, at least in my opinion. What do you think about what Michael Gomez was saying in those clips? Um, I think I think he's right. And I also don't, um, I don't know. So I think there's another perspective to take here, which is that like when, I feel like when you go to like have children, like you want them to be your children. And if you create like, you know, like if neither of neither you or your spouse has blue eyes because you think it looks pretty like i feel like that's totally against the idea of having children you know what i mean of course but, yeah like yeah but uh, you know aside from that um i think i think he's right i think as long as we have history classes that teach about the holocaust and stuff like there will be enough people that um if something were to happen again um would object to it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't have, yeah. So I actually wanted to share um, another clip regarding this with you. So um, I interviewed um, somebody else. Her name is Sandra Briqueño. And although she isn't, necessarily, she isn't a scientist in any way, shape or form regarding gene editing or a scientist <laughs> in any form, um, I wanted to hear her perspective. <laughs> um, yeah, she's a banker, but um, <laughs> no. Um, but I wanted to hear her perspective because I thought that she would have a slightly opposing perspective from that sense, and I wanted to get a better understanding for what the opposing view would look. At. So um, let's play a clip from our interview. What do you have to say about that, or what do you think about that? I disagree. Okay. I appreciate his intelligence, this is his space, this is what he specializes in, this is his gift. I disagree that us, as the human race, at this point in time, where we are, or maybe even ever, will be able to handle that responsibility the way that we should. I think that we're in a situation right now where we're struggling mm -hmm. as a society, as a world. I, and this is cynical, but I'm surprised that he has that much hope and that much faith when looking at society as a whole, that we would use that responsibility mm -hmm. accordingly. 
so Sally, now that you've heard somebody else's perspective on that, an opposing perspective, um, what do you think about that? Um, I just don't know. I mean, at this point in time, I feel like it feels really like not feasible. Um, not even as far as like scientifically, because I think it does, but I, and I think it would be really useful and people would use it for like disease, um, or like, you know, not mental illness, but, um, mm -hmm. like birth defects or stuff like that. Of course, um, mutations. Yeah. Mutations. Um, and like, I think that's feasible, but I don't know. I mean, to me, like the idea of creating like a designer baby just does not seem like something that would really take, I don't know. I could be wrong, <laughs> but I do think I, I like, I do I don't think that we'll let something like the Holocaust happen again. Like mm -hmm. I, I think that that is so ingrained in history and, and so awful. And I think, I don't know. I mean, now like going in through college and stuff, I know not everyone takes psychology classes, but like I've learned about like group think and stuff and how, well, how, it, how uh, the Holocaust happened, how so many people just went along with it. Um, and I, I don't know. I feel like we're, I feel like we're more educated about it now and I don't think it would happen again. I mean, I think there's like not social equality now, definitely not, but not like nowhere near the, the, the scale of the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I wanted to bring it back down to a more, I guess, individual basis, because I do agree with you in the sense that I don't think um, we would allow something like the Holocaust to happen with our current history classes, um, you know, yeah. educating. Because, like, um, just growing up, in the, um, like, going to school, we hear a lot about, you know, mass genocides and um, Holocaust, not just Holocaust, but, you know, the Rwanda genocide, things like this. And, like, um, yeah. I think we're starting to stray a little more as um, a society away from things like that or at least i would hope so yeah well because are, are you saying okay this is just a clarifying question so of for course. gene editing would you say that the parents have to opt into doing it or so, like for and, creating this like aryan race that that they would just use babies like they like that the parents would have no say well that that could be in any sense because i mean even now we're starting to see um like although i don't know if they've tried it with humans um, I mean, like, if there were some possibility to grow an embryo in a lab, right? Like, with, yeah. like, like what I'm thinking is that, like, n maybe not, like, get, like, a whole bunch of parents' permission, but just, like, to, like, raising or creating your own generation, I guess. Now, um, if, if one day we do solidify, and I, I don't necessarily know if I want to, but, um, if one day we do <laughs> solidify the means to create babies in labs, then are those babies then at risk? Or are we then at risk of having um, a generation that was created based on the ideas of a single person, right? At least that's how uh, I, or I interpret it a bit. Yeah, that's um, interesting. I just I don't think I don't think we would get to a place where we would need enough babies to create in a, to be created in a lab to create an entire generation of people. You know what I mean? No, no, I totally agree with that because like and I think, I don't think we're dealing more with over parents. Sorry. No, what were you going to say? Um, I think we're dealing a bit more with overpopulation as opposed to, like, underpopulation at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I wanted to bring it down um, as opposed from a whole generation to more of an individual basis. So, um, 
on that note, you have, um, let's say you have a parent, right? And um, actually, I'm going to play another clip from our interview or from my interview with Michael Gomez because he had a really good point about um, parents and kind of designing their own future babies. So let me just play that for you right now. Actually, just jumping back to designer babies, one concern that I could describe is, say, with people wanting to increase the muscle mass of their babies. So let's say this hypothetical that I wanted my children to be super muscular. I wanted to give them an advantage at the Olympics. I want them to be weightlifters. I want them to see like go full the rock Dwayne Johnson, go in there and be awesome right from birth. Um, <laughs> that is a terrible idea because say they grow up and they actually wanted to be cross-country runners. The body of weightlifters and cross-country runners are very different because they have very different demands on the bodies. And if I were to have done that to my children and they wanted to do the cross-country running, I've limited their ability to do something they enjoy. So once again, this comes back to respecting the health and the autonomy of the next generation. Muscular weightlifters and cross-country runners. Um, what do you think about what Michael Gomez had to say there? That, I feel like I can see parents, like, being like, yeah, I want to make my kid a little more muscular. But I don't, I don't know, because I would say that you could educate them and it would be better, but it wouldn't, because there's some people that just don't learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, they don't. Yeah, that, like, like you can you tell them. Like, if you get an idea in your head. Ignorance. Yeah, exactly. So totally I feel like you. educating people doesn't really help all the time. I, I don't know. I mean. I don't know. I would say that we should not give people the option to do that. Because if we respect the next generation at all, like we shouldn't we shouldn't give people the option to do that. But I don't know. And I don't know that a lot of people would choose to do that anyway. Mm -hmm. Like I think most people would just be like, I just want my child the way that they are. <laughs> yeah. Um I don't know. I but yeah, well because I feel like I was going to say this earlier, but, like, like if I could, you know, genetically engineer my child to have blue eyes, like, I wouldn't really want them because I don't have blue eyes. And, like, what, do I feel like they're better? No. So, like, what, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Anyone would, like, make their child look different than them on purpose. Or that a lot of people would do that because that's, like, against just, like, natural... You know, you want your child to be like you. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, unless you have a disease or some disease that can get passed yeah. on, perhaps. Um, that's what um, one scientist from the, from the Southern University of Science and Technology in China um, was okay. thinking. His name is He Kui, and he presented at the International Summit on Human Genome Editing in Hong Kong. And in t late 2018 he revealed that he'd mutated the genes in two twin baby embryos called CCR5. Now, CCR5 encodes a receptor attributed to HIV susceptibility. So basically, in layman's terms, people who have C or people without CCR5 um, have HIV resistance. Okay. So this might sound really, really cool. Um, but that there are a couple problems that came along with this, right? Um, he, first of all, um, this wasn't necessarily a therapeutic procedure um, in the sense that, or he would oh, do this like, like without any kind of um, 
um, like authorization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so when you're listening to it, it's like, oh wow, like these babies, wow, this guy's amazing. Like these babies have HIV, um, have HIV resistance. Um, but he did it without authorization. He, um, yeah. the processes he used are illegal in most countries. Um, furthermore, he jumped ahead of safety concerns. So um, one thing that scientists were quick to realize was that the protein synthesized to replace CCR5 is unknown in th to the human body. So its repercussions are okay. therefore also unknown. Um, basically saying that what, whatever he inserted in place of the CCR5 may have a negative downside to the human body because it's a foreign substance. It's a foreign agent to the human body. It, the the human body has never has never seen that. Its immune system doesn't know really how to react. So um, I talked about Heijan Kui a little bit with Michael Gomez, and he brought up a couple of more concerns that I wasn't really aware of. So um, let's listen to what he had to say. Actually, it sounds wonderful to have HIV resistance. The issue is that he jumped ahead of safety uh, concerns regarding this technology. Uh, two things. One, studies have uh, shown that a deficiency in CCR5 can lead to an increased risk of influenza and West Nile virus symptoms. The other issue is that, as I described, that it's a natural phenomenon that people have uh, a natural mutation that eliminates the CCR5 protein. The mutation that Pigeon Queen made into these babies, it's a different mutation. And so therefore, the protein that's made, while it might not be the functional CCR5, it's a new protein that the body has never seen before. And so there are safety concerns there, which is what have you introduced into this baby? We don't know the dynamic of how this is going to work out. So what could have been seen as potentially an enhancement of these babies, uh, oh, they're resistant, possibly resistant to HIV. This was a trade-off that okay, well, you'll have a decreased risk of HIV, but perhaps increased risk of these other things. And that is not a choice that these babies made. So there's a big ethical problem there. And that is also not a choice that the future generations that these babies may have, have made. So, um, Araceli, what did you, what do you think about that? Like, what do you think about the other negatives to lack of CCR5 that he brought up? Um, I mean, I feel like, obviously he should have gotten authorization for it, but I feel like it's a really big step in gene editing that wouldn't have happened if he hadn't done it without um, without bypassing a whole bunch of safety rules. But I do think um, Michael Gomez is right that it's, that they didn't, they're, it's a violation of their autonomy um, because they weren't born yet and, and had a decision made for them already that like they don't get to choose whether they're they want to make that trade-off um but i mean i don't know this might be going a little bit off topic but if they could create like a, an hiv or a mutation to make people resistant to hiv um i mean i think that this argument of like oh it's violating their autonomy or whatever like i think the positives outweigh the negatives of that situation Mm -hmm. like HIV medicine costs so much money and there are so many other people in other countries that well first of all where it costs more money in other countries and who don't have the money to pay for it and it's like an epidemic and so 
I feel like in that case, then yeah, go ahead and make kids HIV resistant. Like if there are no side effects, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, of course. Like people are dying every day, and and if you could fix that, like that's crazy. I guess the question here was, um, yeah, they have the ability to fix this, but is it is that is that a fix that's worth it? And like, um, you know, I really struggled with this too when I first heard about it because. On on one hand, um, as Michael Gomez mentioned, you know, this is totally wrong in the sense that these babies did. First of all, this, these babies didn't make that choice. And, you know, yeah. I mean, like in um, looking at it from the perspective of being resistant to HIV, um, to HIV, like, yeah, like, I mean, if I had the option to do to to do something like that to myself, then I would choose. I think I would choose it. So, um, you know, not looking at the side effects, um, I think I would choose it. So, I mean. From I can't speak for the babies themselves, but I think um, although it seems like a positive change, you know, he didn't really take into account the the negatives of it. Of like not no, not only did, did they not. <laughs> not only not only did these babies actually want this to happen to them, but um, but more so, what effect will this have for the future generations of these babies? And not and just these babies these children themselves when they're born um yeah. i well, also sorry um, no keep going i have a thought but <laughs> um i also really no i also really wanted to um address another good point that you brought up which is heijan kui really had some sort of um kind of breakthrough you know the experiment he conducted whether ethical or not was you know it was groundbreaking it was something that hadn't been done before and wouldn't have been done for years to come, especially in a place like the United States where we have so many regulations protecting against things like that. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's like a double like a double-edged blade, I feel. Yeah. And but to think about like like it would be great to be able to carry HIV from birth. Um, but especially in developing countries, because that's where it really makes a difference. It's where they can't pay for it. Um, because the United States, like when somebody gets HIV, they can pay their treatment. Um, but that's not, it's not that way in other countries, but the process of making gene editing so so sophisticated that it could, that it could cure HIV without any side effects, without like opening them up to other diseases like this, like that would take so much testing and more human trials too. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if we could get by the ethics of that. Like, it's different. The ethics of, you know, creating something, gene editing to cure HIV, that's different than the ethics of all the testing that would have had to be done before that. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I have a little um, fun fact um, about Hei Zhang Kui. Because of his experiment, okay. he was named as one of Time's 100 Most Influential People of 2019. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um one of I the mean, I mean yeah. <laughs> um one of the things I found funny was that um the person who wrote um his little like spiel I guess um saying why he was so influential or um making an effort to say why he was so influential um her name is Jennifer Dudna and um I originally tried interviewing her. She um is also out at UC Berkeley and she is a co-creator of CRISPR technology itself. So the technology oh. that Hei Zhang Kui used, um, the person who made that technology wrote um, a little spiel as to why he should be named um, 
most or why she should be one of the most 100 most influential people of 2019 um and i just wanted to read you what she what she wrote basically um she said and i quote scientist hei jean kui showed the world how human embryo editing is relatively easy to do but incredibly difficult to do as well going against the consensus in the scientific community that crispr cas9 technology is still too experimental and dangerous to use in human embryos, he applied it to forever change the genomes of twin girls to give them immunity to HIV. His reckless experimentation on the girls in China not only shattered scientific, medical, and ethical norms, it was also medically unnecessary. While the girl's father is HIV positive, it's rare for fathers to pass on the virus to their children, and if they do, potent drugs can now control the infection. Um, and then it goes on to talk about how the scientific community is now working to establish safer safeguards and um, etc. So um, I don't know how much of a necessary talking point that is, but I think it's super, super interesting that the creator of this technology kind of turned around and said, hey, this this is an amazing technology. This like I'm, you know, I'm super proud of it. I helped create it. But um it, this isn't what I meant for it to be used for. This, uh -huh. this isn't why I wanted. This isn't wasn't my intention. Like years ago, when I was doing research to create this um, this technology, like this is this went against sanctions. This is, you know, I I found that super interesting. Yeah, but like, what did you want to use it for? Well, like, so um, we're gonna go head into that a bit later. Um, or at least some okay. of the pros of the technology. Um, I just wanted to touch upon because a couple. Because I think curing diseases would be like the first thing that you want to do, yes. at least in humans. Yes. If she wasn't meaning to use it in humans, then I totally understand. But if she was, if she was, you know, researching it to be able to use it in humans, I don't know what would come before that. <laughs> Sorry, no. Um, I'd like to kind of take a couple steps back. So I didn't necessarily mean that that wasn't what she meant for the technology to be used. Um, I think oh, okay. that you know, yeah, no. I think curing um, or kind of preventing human diseases um, is definitely at the forefront of the minds of scientists. But I don't think that um, she meant for it to be used without sanctions. I think that she meant it to be used, you know, after it has had regulations, after yeah. after everything is set in place for it to be used. So I think that although she, it may have, the technology may very well be used to kind of prevent human diseases, I don't necessarily think it was the right time, and I think that that's what Miss Duna was addressing in her little uh -huh. in her little spiel. Um, before we get to some of the purposes, I think was originally meant for CRISPR technology to be used for. Um, I want to talk about a couple more concerns um, within the technology itself. So um, one of the first ones is um, of an uncontrollable gene drive. So um, let me present to you a little situation. So. Let's say that you want to get rid of mosquitoes in a certain in a certain community in a certain area. Um, so to do that, one of the ways you could do so is by releasing um, a horde of genetically modified mosquitoes into that population with a gene that spreads infertility. So once they start breeding after a couple of generations, you know, um, no more mosquitoes in that area, right? And it sounds and it sounds good, like right, you accomplish your goal. But let's say one or two of those mosquitoes travels to the next community right over and continues to travel. Or let's say you didn't even want to get rid of all the mosquitoes. You just wanted to get rid of a certain percentage of them. You know, um, once you start a spread of something like that, how do you 
and Mr. Uh, Mr. Michael Gomez brought up brought this up to me. But how do you really prevent that? Um, we I don't think we've necessarily figured out a way to um, to prevent the spread of of something like that, of something of that magnitude. Yeah. Um, another really good point that was brought up both by Mr. Michael Gomez and by Sandra was of social inequality. So we were talking a lot about designer babies. Well, what if only some people are, are able to afford designer babies, right? And I'm not just saying, this This can be taken two ways. This can be taken in the sense of designing your babies to have different hair colors and different eye colors. But this can also be taken in the sense of designing your babies to make them immune to certain diseases, right? If I, if there's a very high likelihood that I pass on a disease I have to one of my babies, then I'm going to want to correct that as soon as I can. Um, what if only some people have certain have access to that, right? I actually talked to Sandra about this, and I'm going to play another clip from our interview uh, to see what her thoughts were on it. Of course, it's going to cause social inequality. We already deal with social inequality in every everywhere you turn. And so now we'll have a group of genetically modified human beings. So instead of all wearing the same LeBron James sneakers, you're gonna actually walk around as human beings who all look the same. So now you've heard what she has to say about that. Um, what do you think, Arcelli, about um, kind of the social inequality aspect of gene editing? Um, I understand where she's coming from as far as like creating like a, a whole other thing to divide different classes and stuff. Um, but I think it's a little extreme to think that one class would look, you know, would look entirely the same. Um, but also that I, I think that this could be used as something to, um, to bring, not bring people together, but um, one of the big things is that people in lower um, and different social classes are more susceptible to disease or can't pay for can't pay for healthcare or that kind of thing and like if it could be used to prevent diseases from birth that would be one less thing to divide us you know what i mean yeah i totally agree with you do you think that something like that would be used in the right way by our communities do you think that there would be i mean i think that personally that there would be some greater push for these to be used in communities that have lower incomes but do you think that there would be like a general push for this because even now, like, um, you see that lower income communities are pushing for things like better libraries, better, better funding for their school systems, and they're not getting it in all cases. Do you think that something like this would be a bigger reason to push for? Or do you think that more people would advocate and support something like this? Um, I don't know. That's a hard question. Because I think... I don't know, because you can create something with science and have a whole idea for how it's going to go, and then like people can just take it completely out of proportion and use it for their own gain. And so, I don't know, I would hope that that's what it's used for. Like, yeah. If we have, I would hope that once we have the tools to prevent a disease from happening even before birth, that people would go straight to the UN and, you know, start going to other countries with that and start creating because that's like such a big thing is that like 
in developing countries and stuff that they don't have the health care that we do so that their um, life expectancy is so much lower and that sort of thing. Like That is such a big divide. Yeah, no, I totally like, agree with you. I would hope that we that that's what we would use it for and that at least some initiative would be taken for that. But I, I honestly do think that it would be more used by people with more money. I, yeah, yeah, which is... You know, it's a concern, but I think that um, as we go along in this with this technology, we'll um, we'll hopefully we'll hopefully learn to find or to use its better uses and to kind of better disseminate it across the people who need it most. Um, yeah. So we. So I have a question. Yeah, Wait, Do you know how much it would like around? How much it would cost? To or do? is that like too? So that's futuristic. <laughs> so um, yes and no. There. For gene editing, in the sense that we're talking about different hair color, different eye color, for hum- for human embryos, I believe that's currently very expensive in the sense that, you know, there's still like a lot of people out there researching the technology itself. However, as there are with many things nowadays in 2019, there are do-it-yourself CRISPR kits. Um, and <laughs> You're kidding me! And there is a whole community. Actually, I talked about this a little bit with um, Michael Gomez in our interview. There's a whole community of people out there who buy these do-it-yourself CRISPR kits because they aren't that expensive, you know, to buy, like, the couple of compounds that's actually needed. And at home, they are injecting themselves with these kits or with, with things that they make out of these kits. And I I actually watched a couple of videos. There are people who use it for... Um, who don't just use CRISPR technology. Some of them use, um, you know, like, magnets and things like that that they insert into their bodies. But some people either try to make themselves stronger or try to grow muscle mass in certain areas. Some people use, this isn't, like, again, this was more related to magnets as opposed to CRISPR technology, but some people are using it to kind of sense in which way north goes. So, like, some person is, like, a human compass. So, like... That's wild. <laughs> and, yeah, no, it, it, yeah, it's wild. Um, and <laughs> according to uh, Michael Gomez, the people who do this are, quote-unquote, ridiculous. Or the idea of this is ridiculous. And I agree with him. You know, how are you using something that's so rudimentary? Technology, not necessarily that the technology is rudimentary, but the research behind it is still, you know, it's, yeah. this hasn't been around for centuries. This has been around for like what? a lot of risk <laughs> yeah. for, like, so minimal gain. <laughs> Do you think that that should be something that public has more access to or more easy access to CRISPR technology? Well, and do it yourself. Well, not right now. <laughs> Further, no. <laughs> if, we can, if, if like no, if if like really intelligent research scientists can't figure out how to you know prevent HIV without causing other illnesses, like and that's like these are the smartest people in that field. No, you should not be using <laughs> at home. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> So like there shouldn't be any Pinterest board for um for DIY CRISPR kits. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've talked about some of kind of like the cons of CRISPR technology, I wanted to loop it back around to a couple of the pros that I mentioned towards the beginning. So on the three main ones that I mentioned were agriculture, so fruit food production. I mentioned diseases and defects in babies, and I also mentioned lifespan so expanding your lifespan so i want to touch a little bit 
um, upon each of those. The first one, obviously, is agriculture. So Michael Gomez, he works with CRISPR to engineer disease resistance and other benefits in major crops, as I mentioned before, tomato, cassava, cacao, etc. So one of the uses, one of the primary uses for CRISPR technology currently at the time is to genetically modify food and to genetically, genetically modify the crops that the food comes from because, you know, food doesn't come from the sky. I mean, yeah, it doesn't come from the sky. Um, we grow it down here in the ground. And in some senses, it's better when we modify them. Mr. Gomez led me to interesting research that a group was doing to create non-browning apples, for example. So when they're, you know, getting thrown around in the process of transportation and you know, after aging, like a little bit, like they don't necessarily brown like a normal apple would. So when you take a bite into it, it's not just like a brown mushy apple. It's like a good apple. <laughs> it's it's a nice bite. So something like that, food production and like kind of bettering the quality of those things. That's what scientists like Mr. Gomez are working towards. What do you think about CRISPR in that field and the use of CRISPR in that field? So you mean like it doesn't just not brown, but it also doesn't like get bruised? I think you can, I think you may be able to bruise it. I'm not 100% sure the actual be, science. Like, that would really, that would really suck if you were like, oh, here's a good apple. And you like bite into it and you're like, oh my God, <laughs> it wasn't brown. It was supposed to show me that it was a bad apple. But no. You know what I mean? No, sorry. It doesn't brown. Not that it doesn't bruise. It doesn't, you know, if an apple is brown, like you can kind of like see maybe sometimes on the outside and like sometimes you can't, but like for the most part, you can see yeah. on the outside like, oh, like this one's going to be a little brown when I butt into that side. But like this is an apple yeah. that just doesn't brown. So like all parts of the apple are good parts of the apple. Like, yeah, but you could still have a bad apple that just didn't brown. That just didn't? Right? In what sense? Sorry. Like if you threw an apple against the wall, <laughs> it would usually brown. Right, because it bruises and then it gets bad um, because it like has like a lump, lumpy spot, like a soft spot. But you I'm, wouldn't be able to see that if the apple <laughs> <was> brown. <laughs> I'm not 100 percent sure how the technology works. <laughs> okay, um, I know yeah. that yeah, it's okay. No, um, I know that it removes an, a part of the apple, or not necessarily removes a part of the apple, but in the actual like genetic makeup of the apple, it removes something called PPO, which is polyphenol oxidase. And it's an enzyme that supplies the aroma and flavor of the apple. And it mixes with another substrate that's found in another part of the cell. And together, when they mix, it's like a brown-toned melanin that's left behind. So I'm not necessarily sure 100% what... Like, if, if I were to throw on something like an apple at the wall, I wouldn't necessarily... I'm not, I'm not sure, like, what the result of that experiment would be. But yeah. I do know that they what they basically created at the end of their experiment or at the end of their research was an apple tree and like that's basically what this company or what this they set out to do so instead of creating like a single apple it's like more or less a seed that creates a tree that grows into the tree that sprouts to apples and that's how they mm -hmm. removed it mm -hmm. so um something like that like what do you think about CRISPR technology use maybe not just in apples but in agriculture as a whole um I mean, I feel like it's not, as long as it can't hurt you, then what's the harm? Mm -hmm. Like, if you can make more food, like, that's always a good thing. <laughs> Stop deforestation and stuff. So, moving on from food, 
back to diseases in babies. So we looked at one disease or one, I'm sorry, one experiment that was very, very controversial by Hei Zhang Kui. I want to take a look at another one. So I was, I was listening to uh, my morning NPR and I heard of a new experiment being conducted in the United States that's aimed at creating gene edited human embryos. This one is being conducted by Dieter Egli and he's a developmental biologist at Columbia University. And he's trying to do basic research to see if CRISPR can repair genetic mutations in human embryos. Um, his goal is to allow parents with harmful mutations to have healthy babies, except instead of trying to remove HIV or make babies that are immune to HIV, um, he's attempting to fix a mutation that causes blindness. So, um, yeah, so I just wanted to play you a quick little clip of what I was listening to that morning with NPR. And here is NPR's correspondent and senior editor Rob Stein speaking, along with Dieter Egli, who he interviewed. You can't just do the editing and then hope everything goes right and implant that into a womb. That's not responsible. We have to first do the basic research to see what happens. That's what we are doing here. Right. And he's also trying to be really, you know, transparent and, and not be secretive. Uh, like some people say, the Chinese scientist says he's even let me, you know, come to his lab recently and literally stand over his shoulder as he pierced human eggs with a tiny needle to fertilize them with sperm, carrying this blindness mutation, and then did his experiment to see if this CRISPR gene editing tool could fix the mutation. And uh, here's a key moment during that experiment. Let's listen to a little bit of that. The membrane is broken, breached. There we go. Sperm and CRISPR tool in the egg. Oh, you did it. You got it. Yeah, got it. So that was, I think, super, super interesting. What do you think about his new research? Um, I think it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Because I don't know where you draw the line. Like, I, I certainly don't think that designer, you know, designer babies in the sense of, like, aesthetic purposes should be a thing. I think that's totally unethical. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 um, it's just, like, not the point of a child mm -hmm. and I feel like once if you design it for aesthetic purposes then it would like um it would like totally mess up the entire relationship that you have with like it's just a weird it's a weird thought yeah no I totally um, agree with you like like, I don't want to have to walk into the mall and see, like, you know, like, we had Build-A-Bear when we were little. I don't want to see something like that for, like, human embryos. That's, like, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, but also, like, as a, like, if you were a parent and you're like, yeah, I want my, you know, I want my daughter to have green eyes and, um, you know, be tan and have blonde hair and stuff, like, that, and then they, and that's your daughter, like, that's not, like, that's not her, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, it's not, like, there, there gets to a certain point where... How much is it really your daughter? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then how much is your relationship with her affected by that? Like, you've decided how she was mm -hmm. going to look. You wanted her to look pretty. And that's her purpose for you is to look pretty? Or, like, that's some of her purpose to you? Exactly. No, uh, I totally agree with yeah. you. But... So, but there's that, there's that line. Like, I don't think we should cross that line. But then you can, if you could cure blindness, like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And HIV? Yeah, and... Like, I just don't know where to draw the line, but I think you should be able to do that, especially the way that this guy's doing it, like, transparently. I totally... Yeah, I totally agree with you. What do you think about the differences between Dieter Egli's research and Hei Kui's research? Well, obviously, one of them is doing it the right way and the other one is not. But 
I don't know. I think um, unethical or not, I mean, this is an unpopular opinion, but, like, I feel like he did, that was a scientific breakthrough. Um, mm-hmm. And if he had waited for regulations to keep up with him, he might not have been here for that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, unpopular, I hope you the unpopular opinion, Puffin, but I yeah. feel like yeah. like he should get in trouble for it, but I, I think that's what I would have done in okay. that situation. Before we move on from the positives of kind of preventing diseases and effects in babies, I just wanted to say two quick things about Dieter Agli. First off, his research is considered necessary by many scientists. So kind of like what we were talking about before and about Dieter Agli doing it the right way. His research isn't necessarily just trying to make babies however he'd like or, you know, he's going about it in a very ethical way. He's only in the stages of research. He's not just experimenting on human embryos yet. Just yet. Yeah. Or like, you know, ones that will be babies. He's he's conducting research and he's doing it, like you mentioned, very transparently. He's doing it in a very good way. He's also arguing to his critics that he's not trying to make gene editing babies yet. He's actually nowhere near that. So like we said, he's still in the research stages. He has no intention of trying to make designer babies. So not only... But in, in, the, in the aesthetic sense or in the like... Yes, yes, in the aesthetic sense. Sorry. So he, of course, is obviously trying to cure blindness or fix a mutation that causes yeah. blindness. So in that sense, the babies would be designer, but he's not trying to make babies that have green hair, blue eyes, yellow lips, you know. He's trying to... Yeah, yellow lips. Jesus Christ. I said green hair, and that's the first one that comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yellow lips. <laughs> to all our listeners out there, if you do have yellow lips, that it, I'd go check get that checked out. Um, and <laughs> um, on a further note, the last real big positive, and there are many more, but I just wanted to bring up these three. You can expand your lifespan in a sense. And I'm not saying that the technology is meant to expand your lifespan, but if you think about it, you know, band-aids, when they first came about, were kind of meant to, in a sense, expand your lifespan, or maybe not expand your lifespan, but to cure a little cut or a bruise. But if it happens to yeah. be a big cut or a bruise and you still use a band-aid, you know, you could have perhaps expanded your lifespan. Um, same thing with things like, <laughs> sorry, same thing perhaps with, same thing with some vaccines, right? If yeah. when those started coming along, like I brought up to Sandra, the polio vaccine, when that first came along, polio was a big threat. And now with this new vaccine, you know, you can combat that. That's a way to expand your lifespan. So using CRISPR technology to prevent somebody from being born with an illness that would have maybe killed them sooner. That, that could perhaps very well be a use of CRISPR technology in the future when it becomes more regulated and more widely accessible to the public. I was reading a Scientific American article, and it was written by E. Paul Terre. And there are two quotes that I just wanted to bring to your attention. He said, quote, We're at the point where technology will soon surpass our humanity. And then he goes on to say, We have an obligation to modify human form and function so that we have the best chance to flourish on Earth and in space, end quote. What do you think about the use of CRISPR technology to perhaps expand our lifespan um, and to kind of better prepare ourselves for what's to come? Um, I think... Okay, so when I, the originally when you asked that question, I was like, extend your lifespan, like, yeah, but, like it'd be like 150, but it's it's the general lifespan, 
right? It's yes. average. Yes, yes, yes. Because, mo- because we have a lot of people from, who, who die early from illnesses. But I think that's, I feel like that's a good use of CRISPR technology because, um, you know, what is it? Why do, why do you have to die, at, you know, exactly. young and I get to live for, you know, until I'm 100? Like, you're giving everyone, unfair. you're giving everyone kind of like an equal shot at the an life of this chance. Earth. Yeah. But, I mean, if it were to be used, to like slow down aging or whatever. I don't even know if that could happen, but like that sort of thing, that's another line that I don't know that we should cross. I don't, I don't think that I would want to. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. But yeah, on the original question, (laughs) I feel like that's a fair use of CRISPR technology and a really positive thing. Yeah. I guess one of the things, well, before we go into like your final statements, I wanted to go into into Sandra's final statements. I'm going to play like what she had to say about that. We are not ready. I don't think we will ever be ready. I don't think that any of it should be done. I think that it's something that we should appreciate, understand, and just walk away. Mm-hmm although it addresses a lot of benefits in regards to agriculture and preventing diseases and um, increasing your lifespan. I mean, those are all clearly um, strong benefits. The downside to me is too risky. That was kind of what made Sandra, or... I kind of got that response when I asked her what would make her feel better about the future of CRISPR technology. In the same sense, what do you think might make you feel better, might cure some of your worries? Um, I guess regulation set on when to use it. because I, And I think we can start out by saying if you have a disease that runs in the family that can be cured by CRISPR technology, I think that's that's a place where you should be allowed to use it. Um, you know, ensuring that the, the technology is safe for you, your children, and the generations to come that doesn't cause any side effects or anything. Like, I think, I don't think, I think like she said, we're not ready for it, but I think we will be once, um, once we just have better research and a lot more, um, I don't know. Like, we need to know the, exactly what the effects are and how mm-hmm. to fix them. Because something as, as like, that's your DNA. Like that's your gene. You can't, it's not like you can just take a pill and like, you know, Oh, if I feel better, like it's, that's like you, you're rewriting so yourself. It's, it's a different. Yeah, exactly. So it's a different, it's a different, like if that were to work out badly, that's a different kind of disease altogether. Mm-hmm. But I think as long as there's enough research to say that it's safe, um, I feel like that's when you can use it, especially. And I think, so I think I would feel better if there were restrictions on, um, on like aesthetic purposes. Like I think it would have to be, um, if there was a disease that runs in your family that can be cured by CRISPR, then that's, that's a, an instance where you can use it. And I think that in, in agriculture, I think it has a lot of benefits and, and not a lot of side effects. Um, again, I think more research needs to go into that as well. And people just need to be more educated about it because like, people see GMO and they go, oh, like, <laughs> yeah, like it's still a, it's a normal, it's a normal piece of produce. Like it's not, 
it hasn't been injected with anything once it's a thing. Like that's how it grew. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we need to educate people more on that too. I mean, I feel like for like animals that you're going to eat, it's a different thing yeah. because you can make a genetically modified like turkey so that it has like a bunch of breast meat, you know, or you can make a little and, pig, like, I think, a mini pig. Yeah. A micro pig. A micro pig. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that's totally unethical, mm-hmm. but that's a different line. And I'm also not the like general opinion on that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess that's my, So, throughout this, our ultimate question has been, do you believe the pros outweigh the cons? And I would go over to Arcelli. I would give my own input on this. But ultimately, you, the listener, is set to decide. Um, We've given you the pros. We've given you the cons. Arcelli, I'd like to thank you so much for helping me kind of investigate the two sides. And a problem. And with that, I'd like to put an end to this episode of The Flow. Thank you guys so much for listening. See y'all next time.